All of a sudden, I get AM fourteen twenty WBSN presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with science advisor Matt Moniz. We are here to talk with you about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night. And we're here to also figure out some of the changes here in the studio. New new computer browser uh, over here. Looks like we went to Windows 7 here in the studio. And uh, I'm learning that as we go along. And looks like the new version of the online site where we post our theme song now has ads included in it. So... <laughs> Hey, but as long as it works. It works. I don't know how the station would feel about us playing those ads, so I'm going to see if I can get us an ad blocker <laughs> during the next commercial break to take care of that. But, hey, at least we have a theme song this week, unlike last week. Well, welcome into the program. As I said, we talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. We broadcast here live on WBSM, and we also stream uh, video, if you can believe that, if you want to see our ugly faces, on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. And you can also always get our archives uh, both from youtube uh if you want to see the video and also from itunes and wherever else audio podcasts are found and last week we had a, a pretty interesting show a, a very controversial show with a topic that had been drawing a lot of discussion in the paranormal world over the last couple of weeks and that was aaron houdini's uh we'll say accusation of alleged evidence faking at the post town school in ohio and we had Aaron on to, to share his thoughts and kind of to question him a little bit and, and grill him a bit on some of the decisions that he made in the process of revealing the information that he had and then the personal attacks that he had reverted to when people challenged his report. And one of the things that we did is we read a statement from Philip Booth here on the show and we got Aaron's reaction to that. And that was that was pretty that was kind of exclusive, you know. That was, we were the only ones to get Aaron's exclusive the first time uh, that he heard to get his reaction the first time that he heard that statement. And I don't know. I thought that this show was going to be well, the last week's show was going to be very um, fire and brimstone type of stuff. No, I, I just thought it was going to be something that would resonate a lot through the paranormal community. I expected there to be, you know, I was thinking like. Big numbers for the downloads, a lot of discussion generated from it. And to be honest here and, and to be completely open, the show didn't get nearly the downloads that we're used to getting. And I think part of that is people are kind of somewhat sick of that drama. And I don't mean to keep rehashing a lot of the topics that uh, that people have been talking about over the past couple of weeks, but people are sick of it. They're tired of all this crap that goes on behind the scenes of the paranormal investigation community and even the idea of a community is something that's been challenged lately uh and the idea of whether or not there needs to be oversight for the paranormal there's been so many topics that have been kicked around as a result of this i think a lot of that warrants discussion going forward but i think people are just their eyes are starting to glaze over when we talk about 
the post town accusations and Aaron Houdini and what he's been doing. Now this week he issued an apology online and we'll get into that a little bit later on in the second hour. We're going to actually have uh, Philip Booth, his wife, Ivana, and uh, hopefully Daryl Wiseman, who is one of the people who was accused by Aaron Houdini of faking evidence at post town. We're going to have all three of them join us coming up in the second hour of the show. And we're going to get their side of things. And we're going to get kind of the after effect of what has happened from all of this. And then I think we should be done with it after that. I hope so. Because I really think that it's, it's showing that the community doesn't really want to keep revisiting this. But at the same time, we need to present the after of the whole thing. You know, it's one thing if you want to come out there and say, well, you know, it's going to be my job now to, to expose fraud wherever it exists or that we should all be exposing fraud wherever it exists. But before we do that, we need to kind of see the after to that before. And I think that's what we'll kind of talk about a little bit later on with uh, Ivana and Phil and Daryl, hopefully, if we can get all three of them on. And we can share what's happened to Daryl as a result of these accusations. Uh, the kind of, I don't want to say damage control, because damage control means almost, almost implies that you're trying to cover something up. The repercussions of? But just the way that Philip and Ivana have had to uh, change their lives over this and and they came into this on the periphery you know phil was just kind of just trying to come in and say hey before you go forward with this aaron let's make sure you get all your ducks in a row and instead he became the target of some of these attacks so you know we'll get into all of that coming up in the second hour but uh, in this hour we're going to talk with our old friend richard salva who's been on the show a couple of times and uh, you know him as the the gentleman who wrote the book uh, it was originally called Soul Journey from Lincoln to Lindbergh, but it's been retitled in its uh, future editions as The Reincarnation of Abraham Lincoln. We're going to talk with him about Abraham Lincoln, the paranormal side of the 16th president. And I have to say, I saw the film, and I thought, I don't know if you've had a chance to see it yet, Moniz. Uh, the only Abraham Lincoln one I saw involved him killing vampires. That movie doesn't exist, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but the Steven Spielberg film that's out in theaters now, I had a chance to see it, and I feel like uh, for all that I've read and all that I've learned about Abraham Lincoln over the years, that Daniel Day-Lewis's portrayal is probably the most accurate that we've ever seen, and we really did see the humanistic side of Abraham Lincoln. We saw him more as a person than as this idol, uh, than as this symbol of America. And we get to see kind of what he was like in one-on-one -on -one interactions with his family, with his cabinet, uh, how he got things done, which, you know, some of the things go against our, you know, our, our, our idea of principled Abraham Lincoln. And they show that he could resort to whatever needed to be done. But it also shows, you know, his quick wit, uh, his storytelling ability, and the fact that he was, for somebody who we look at as being somebody who was very melancholy, uh, he did have a, a, a sparkle about him. And I think that they did a great job of capturing that. And I'm just going to go on record here and say that uh, Tommy Lee Jones is going to win Best Supporting Actor Oscar. Um, if Daniel Day-Lewis doesn't win the Oscar for, for Best Actor. But I, I definitely think Tommy Lee Jones is going to get it for his portrayal of uh, Thaddeus Stevens. But we'll, we'll talk about Lincoln the person and Lincoln the soul with Richard Salva coming up in just a little bit. And, of course, the phone lines will be open throughout the night, 508 996 500 one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. Those are the numbers if you want to call in. If you want to email, it's spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. 
And you can also check into the chat room on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, which uh, the chat room was pretty buzzing last week. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think it's a coincidence either that I tried to go back after the show and get through as much of the chat room as I can. Usually you can back up like a good half an hour or so and read some of the comments, but I couldn't you back couldn't up at up. all because yeah. there was so many comments, Fast and Furious in there. Uh, it looks like things are kind of back to normal. Most so of it aimed at Dave. Well, Dave asked for it. <laughs> But before we get into all, all this stuff going on uh, tonight, we have a few minutes here before we have to take a break, Moni. So I just want to get your idea on your ideas on the I, the concept of the paranormal community, and, because you've been doing this long before anybody would ever come forward and admit that they were <laughs> investigating the paranormal, and you had to seek back, out back when it was you know just an outpost. Yeah, and and if you wanted to get somebody's opinions or 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 share theories with anybody or uh, you know share data with somebody else, it was hard work to try to find who else had been working on a lot of these things. Yeah, the only thing that you really had to go on were the authors that you know wrote books or wrote articles in magazines and newspapers and what have you. You would contact them and see who else had, in your area contacted them, see if they could. Point you out to, oh, yeah, I got another person that sent me a letter, you know. Mm -hmm. This is before the days of Internet where you actually had to write a letter and put a stamp on it and send it out. And they would tell you who is in your area. And then you would try and get in contact with them and then meet up with them. Uh, a couple of locations you would occasionally run into another intrepid soul doing the same thing. But uh, I think what really exploded the community sense it would be the um the internet the uh, mm -hmm. the advent of the internet well looking at it from from that perspective and from the current modern perspective then i i have to ask you in order for this and we'll call it a science for the sake of argument but in order for this it can be a science science is just the method of application but I'm, I'm saying some people don't like that label put on it some people do but if we're for this science to advance do we need to get along? Does everybody need to be friends in the paranormal in order to advance the paranormal? Have you ever seen a bunch of scientists get together about things? They're not very friendly with each other in most cases. So, yeah, this is nothing new or nothing out of the ordinary. Because this is what I've been hearing all week, wall to wall, and it's been driving me crazy. And, and Chris Balzano and I were in the chat room of another radio show this week, uh, listening to, to Phil and Ivana on that program. And the Pollyanna attitude that so many people had in the chat room about going forward. I know I'm going to, you know, lose some friends here, I think, <laughs> or, or, or at least lose some people who, who, uh, you know, don't, don't really want to as long Face as you're speaking the truth, it, it shouldn't matter. The truth is what's the important thing here, right? So, Well, I, I just think some people are going to be upset with what I'm about to say, but I, I think this whole idea of working together is actually somewhat counterproductive uh, in this field. I don't think it has as much benefit as people think that it does. Now, I think there uh, needs to be uh, a respect amongst each yes, other, yes. or else you're just going to go backwards. But everybody holding each other's hands and working together and singing Kumbaya is going to eliminate the competitiveness that's going to make one advance over another. Yeah, you lose the, um, let's call it the competitive nature uh, of discovery. Discovery is done by a lot of hard work and this and that. Uh, when you start getting, you know, these cloisters of groups together and they start, you know, 
unilaterally saying we're going to do this and this is our thing. That's no longer science. That's a cult. That's mm-hmm. that's not that's not how you how you um, advance. Uh, and a lot of advances in science are done through competition. You know, you're. It's sorry to say, but it's true. That's how they make the money. If they can get to the discovery before the next guy. Well, I'm going to go uh, so far as to say that 75%, I think is a healthy number to say, of the paranormal field look toward the television shows for some amount of guidance. That might be kind of a high number, but I think 70... I actually think that's kind of low, but... 75% of the people out there may think that at least accept the fact that the television shows are the public face of the paranormal. So if that's the case, I ask you this. When was the last time that you saw Zach Bagans appear on an episode of Ghost Hunters? When was the last time that Aaron or Nick called up Jason Hawes to get his opinion on something on camera? Before he had his own television show, John Zaffis would be on Ghost Hunters. How many times has he been on it since? They don't have to work together because there's a competition between them to have the most successful paranormal program. Might be a little bit different with Zaffis and Ghost Hunters because they're on the same network, so there can be some kind of... And I'm sure we're going to get cross-promotion episodes later on. But, you know, it's no different than... I'm, I'm sure that the people who own the Gold and Silver Pawn Shop in Las Vegas, <laughs> I'm sure that they don't call up and share with... The Detroit pawn shop, yeah. and you know, and, and everybody gets along, and, and gold and silver doesn't charge one price without checking to see what price, you know, the, the I'm, I'm sorry, the one in Detroit, I'm forgetting the name, but Pawn Stars is the name of the yeah, but yeah, yeah, Pawn Stars doesn't check with Hardcore Pawn and set the market that way in terms of what they're charging for things, but I'm sure they have a healthy respect for one another. If they were at one of the upfronts for their for their networks, and they were all controlled by the same, you know. Uh, main media company, I'm sure that they would be friendly to one another and, and shake hands and say, hello, how you doing? I'm sure there's been photo ops with, you know, the owners of one and the owners of the other together. And I'm sure the same thing has happened in the paranormal. I'm sure there's been plenty of times when, you know, you can catch conventions, things, conventions yeah. events, uh, you know, investigation events, all these different reasons why you can have these people all thrust together and they have a respect for one another. But that doesn't mean that ghost hunters doesn't want to be the higher rated show than ghost adventures or vice versa. And it doesn't hurt their programs to have that competition with one another. And it's the same thing with, you know, look at the NFL or, or, or any major sports organization. If other organizations crop up from time to time, which they do, and they have some innovations that the NFL or the NBA or the major league baseball don't have, eventually they will incorporate those into their own broadcasts. There's stuff in the NFL today that is directly descended from the old AFL, which the NFL absorbed. There's stuff in the NFL today that's from the XFL, which nobody likes to admit ever existed. (laughs) But that behind-the-camera shot that you know ESPN Monday Night Football say they pioneered and now everybody uses, that was an XFL shot. You know, and there's a lot of these innovations come about through competition. Correct. And there's nothing wrong with that happening in the paranormal. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to go online and disparage another group, but it also doesn't mean that you have to check with another group before you investigate a place that they've investigated before. And the other thing that's been popping up a lot is about evidence review. You know, whether or not we should be able to 
criticize other people's evidence. Look, I got one bottom basic line for you when it comes to criticizing evidence. Don't criticize somebody else's evidence unless they ask you to. Know what I have a pet peeve with? What's that? People calling it evidence. Evidence belongs in court. Science, we uh, analyze data. All right. Either way. (laughs) I'm just using the colloquial terms that we use in the field today, but I, I I do like that perspective. So if you see a shoddy piece of evidence, if you see somebody even, we'll just say, misinterpreting something, that doesn't mean that you have to publicly post on the internet about what it is. Contact that person and say what it might be. Now, I guarantee you, if you take the time to do that, they're going to write back and tell you, no, I actually had somebody show me a picture the other day that was an outright camera strap. And when I told them that, they told me there is no camera strap on the computer, uh, on the camera, and there's just no way that that's possible. It's a camera strap. I know what one looks like. I'll recreate the shot for you. But it doesn't matter. And if you're going to get to that point where it doesn't matter, let it go. The worst possible thing that's going to happen from somebody promoting misinterpreted evidence, whether it be willfully or or even accidentally misinterpreted, the worst possible thing that's going to happen is they're going to end up on my ghost story. (laughs) And if they do, big deal. If you think my ghost story is hurting the paranormal field, if you think people going on that show and presenting their evidence is hurting the paranormal field... You couldn't be more wrong because the people who are out there that are calling you to come and investigate their houses don't know about this stuff or else they wouldn't be calling you to come investigate their houses. If they could do it themselves, if they felt they had the knowledge themselves enough from what they've gained from watching television or reading a book, they're not going to call your group. If they do call your group, it means that they have somewhat of an interest, but very little knowledge. Which means when they see something like that on my ghost story, they just think, hey, I might actually have a ghost too if this person does. You know what I'm saying? Uh, It just. I know exactly what you're saying. There's too much emphasis on being correct. And there's really no value in being correct. And how do you tell what's correct in the unknown? That's true. (laughs) Okay. So. (laughs) But. Again. Yeah. That leads to the question of, you know, whose job is it to point this stuff out? And it's all stuff that we can talk about later on uh, with our three guests. But before that, I definitely want to talk about Abraham Lincoln with uh, tonight's guest, Richard Salvo. And if you haven't seen the film, go out and see it. And if you haven't picked up Richard's book, The Reincarnation of Abraham Lincoln, get it now uh, because it is a fascinating read. So why don't we take a break? When we come back on the other side... We will talk with our guest for tonight for the first hour, Richard Salva, about Abraham Lincoln. And then coming up later on, it's more controversy in the paranormal because we just can't seem to let it go. So stay tuned. We will be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Hello. Hey, man. You up? No. Wake up. I need to talk to you. I think your house is haunted. Hey, come on, it's 2.30 in the morning. I can't sleep in here, man. I'm scared. All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz. And uh, we are here to talk with you about the paranormal. And there's no more... When you, when you say presidential paranormal, there's nobody who comes to mind more than Abraham Lincoln. And uh, we have done a few shows now on Abraham Lincoln and his paranormal life. But 
uh, our, our guest tonight has taken it in a different direction than a lot of other people have. And it was a fascinating read the first time I read it. I recently reread it, uh, I think, over the summer or the beginning of the summer because I was looking for something to read on my bookshelf. And I was like, you know, I enjoy this book. I'm going to go back. And it's, 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 a very, um, it's a very interesting read. And it's something that once you pick it up, you can't put it down. And Richard Salva is the author of that book. He has been interested in reincarnation and yoga philosophy since his teens when he moved to Ananda, a yoga community in the Sierra Nevada foothills. For the next 30-plus years, he has continued his studies under the guidance of Swami Kuriyananda, a direct disciple of Paramahansa. I, I do this every time. Paramahansa Yogananda, author of the best-selling, best-selling spiritual classic, Autobiography of a Yogi, an author and a minister, Richard has given hundreds of lectures on reincarnation, yoga, philosophy, and history in the United States in Europe. And uh, he joins us now on the show. Good evening, Richard. How are you? I'm doing really well. How are you, Tim? I'm doing well. I'm sorry that I keep butchering the pronunciations of the yogis. <laughs> You're not alone. I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, now, we, we've had you on before to talk about your theory uh, that Abraham Lincoln was actually uh, the reincarnated uh, soul of uh, I'm sorry I'm I'm going to let you pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, you, you mean well actually um, this was a, not my theory. It was actually the theory of uh, that uh, yogi whose name you pronounce, mispronounced. <laughs> His name is uh, Paramahansa Yogananda. He wrote uh, the classic autobiography of Yogi, as mm-hmm. you mentioned, which has inspired millions throughout the world, including the Beatles and Elvis Presley and others. And uh, anyway, he said uh, some time ago that um, Abraham Lincoln had been an advanced Himalayan yogi in a past life, and that he was reborn as the great aviator Charles Lindbergh. And uh, I had the inspiration, the thought, to check into this, because here were two men, Lincoln and Lindbergh, whose lives had been so deeply chronicled, and I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to go through their histories, to read uh, what they had written, but also people who knew them, uh, to find out about their quirks, or their habits, their ways of doing things, to see if I could find any similarities between the two men at all that might uh, uh, bear out what Yogananda had said. And uh, when I first started this uh, research into this uh, theory, I didn't know what I would find. I thought I might find a few interesting connections. Mm-hmm. But I, actually, Tim, I was overwhelmed with both the quality and quantity of uh, similarities that I found. I ended up uncovering nearly 500 fascinating similarities and connections wow. between yeah, between Lincoln and Lindbergh and the, the spiritual science of yoga. And uh, these aren't just the regular connections that we all share. Like, you know, nowadays two people might like pizza and they might, you know, uh, listen to the same program on the radio, like Spooky South Coast or something. <laughs> but uh, they, they're, you know, uh, very, very unusual things, such as uh, both men had uh, uh, spoke with the dead, uh, both fell in love with a young woman named Anne and got engaged to them when he was 26 and she was 22. Uh, both, when young, came very close to dying. Uh, both received honorary law degrees, doctors of law. Lincoln was shot behind his ear, and Lindbergh was afraid of the sound of gunfire. Uh, the list just goes on and on and on, and it connects with uh, basically every aspect of human life, physical, mental, uh, emotional, social, and spiritual. And when you first uh, were promoting the book, and when I first heard about it and I received it in the mail, I said, well, I'll give it a try. You know, if there's if there's three or four solid connections 
that are made between it. I might have to rethink my my idea of reincarnation because it wasn't something that I, I really necessarily knew a lot about and believed in. And so I said, you know, if you can make a strong argument for three or four similarities between the two, that might be enough to, to make me scratch my head and think about it. And instead, uh, there's, like you said, there's so many uh, correlations uh, in the lives of, of Lincoln and Lin- Lincoln and Lindbergh that uh, I walked away thinking, okay, maybe there is something to this uh, to this reincarnation stuff. And yes. and I've, I've since changed my mind over the years from your work. And uh, it's really wonderful because this is the first in-depth study, historical study, of uh, past lives and reincarnation. And uh, again, there's so much of a quantity, as you said, that uh, it, it not only helps to give solid historical proof that reincarnation exists, but it also teaches us by going through, you know, exactly how reincarnation works, what happens to us when we go from one lifetime to the next. And what do you see in the lives of Lincoln and Lindbergh, especially in habits of thinking and so on like that, that we don't really change all that much just because we die. You know, we, we, um, our basic spirit uh, remains intact, and uh, who and what we are. Um, we can play with new ideas and so on from one lifetime to the next, but, you know, for me, the most fascinating thing, I think, was something I put at the very end of the book, which is that both men had this obsession with death. And uh, with Abraham Lincoln, you could you could really see it. You see, uh, when you read uh, biographies of Lincoln by great historians, almost all of them will bring up this, this obsession that he had with death. He had a favorite poem that was all about death. Uh, he was surrounded by death. Um, he is young, he, when, if you see the movie uh, that came out, Spielberg's Lincoln, which I really highly recommend. It's a really well-done movie. It really, I think, captures Lincoln's uh, personality very well. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis did an excellent job. But uh, in that movie, they, they mentioned a number of times this, the death of his younger son that happened in the White House. And then, you know, he was in the president during the Civil War. So many people were dying all around him. Uh, Washington, D.C. was really just sort of besieged. There were battlefields. If you look at battlefields on the East Coast, so many of them are right around D.C. You know, uh, the very Bull Run and uh, other ones. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, they go, they just sort of do a ring around around the city there, and um, but he he was just it's something that he mulled over. It's something like it it uh, refined his spirit. It's something like a, a whetstone for his spirit that he would just you know why did there have to be death? You know why why do people have to die? And it was something that he just thought about so much during his life. And um, then in in the writings of Charles Lindbergh, he talks about when he was just a young boy on his farm in Little Falls, Minnesota. And uh, on that farm, the, they were going to have chicken dinner that evening, and so uh, one of the uh, people that worked there, and uh, the little boy followed him, you know, went out to the chicken coop and grabbed the chicken and chopped its head off, and the little boy was sitting there, and instead of just going, yuck, this is really gross, this little boy thought, why does there have to be death? You know, and he wrote, writes about this in, in, one, of his, uh, in one of his memoirs. And the same thought that Abraham Lincoln had held in his mind, especially toward the end of his life, in Washington, D.C., in the White House, uh, and then that he died with, was reincarnated in the mind of this young boy, Charles Lindbergh. And then throughout his life, Lindbergh mulled on this. He, he thought it over. He wondered about death, just as you guys do on your show. You know, is what happens after death? You know, are some spirits stuck on this earth? You know, is that what ghosts are? 
and so on, you know, he mulled on those these big questions about life and death until at, at the very end of his life he came to peace with the thought that death was, death was just part of a cycle of life. And he even had various thoughts himself about reincarnation. He had a wonderful visualization that he had. He was living in the island of uh, Maui at the time, of Hawaii. And uh, he would see the water just sort of forming in these pools and then going down into little rivulets and going from one pool to the next. And he said he wondered if life was like that. You know, that the water of life would gather for a time in a pool and then it would move on to the next one. And it was really a good, uh, a good analogy for reincarnation. I'm assuming that you've, like, like you said, you've seen the film and you've ha- you've had a chance to see Spielberg's concept and Daniel Day Lewis's portrayal. And with all the years of research that you put into Abraham Lincoln yourself, how accurate would you say that their depiction was of him, uh, not just in his in his presidential ways and in, in, in the events of the film, but in the way that they portrayed him as a person? Oh, I thought it was very accurate. It was very, very well done. Um, um, not only an author, but I, I've done stage acting, and uh, I have great respect for Day Lewis and uh, how he immerses himself in a role. And uh, he really just tried to capture the spirit of personality of, of Abraham Lincoln, and you could see it just in his eyes and the way that he, you know, you could see the mind working. You know, this was uh, a man whose mind was just very deep. You know, it was just like, you know, uh, things, thoughts, Went very very deep in his mind. He was very, uh, he's he's highly intelligent, and he just had this very charming personality that he could just sort of tell these stories for various reasons. I mean, he, there was a reason for everything he did. And when you look at Day Lewis uh, portraying him, um, you really just feel, um, as uh, some of the actors felt, almost that it was almost as if Lincoln himself was there. And uh, this was because, I, I could say this with, with a great deal of emphasis, because I was really studying Lincoln's personality you know, in my book. I wasn't studying as much uh, the politics of every decision that he made, you know, the various, you know, uh, letter he wrote on this date and the reason he wrote it, and everything that was going on in the Civil War at that time and why, you know, wherefore and all that sort of thing. I was studying his personality, and I thought they did a tremendous job uh, with a few reservations. There were a few things that I uh, that I didn't think were actually true. For instance, in the movie, uh, it's one thing I bring up in my book that uh, Abraham Lincoln himself was very nonviolent. I don't remember very much in his life had to do with him striking out at anyone. Mm-hmm. And at one point in the movie, he's talking uh, with his son, and they're having an argument. His son Robert Lincoln, who had gone to Harvard and was revisiting. D.C. again, uh, and um, during the argument, uh, Lincoln reached out and slapped him, and I just don't think that that happened, and I, I just, uh, I, I've read a lot about his life, I've read a lot about, I, I know he didn't get along with Robert, I just don't believe that, that he would have done that. There were a couple of things like that in the movie, but, you know, all in all, I'd say like they were 98 or 97% accurate, something like that. And, and even in the film, uh, they hint, and I, I think you alluded to this before too, but even in the film, they hinted that uh, psychic side of Lincoln, that, that the fact that he almost always had one foot uh, in the other plane at the same time, 
perhaps because he was around so much death and destruction because he felt responsible for so much death and destruction. Uh, but also, uh, he just seemed to have that otherworldliness about him. And they do have that prophetic dream uh, in the film, which is just one of many prophetic dreams uh, that Lincoln is said to have had, especially in his years in the White House. Yes, and they, uh, they, they, they do a wonderful job, again, depicting that. Uh, it's the dream that Lincoln often had of himself on a ship moving quickly across water. Uh, he often had that dream before some major event happened, either in his life or in the war, uh, and he, he knew that it presaged something. Uh, and uh, the last time he had the dream was right before he died, and he wasn't sure what it was. He thought it had to do with some... Uh, you know, battle that was going on and so on. He often, as they did in the movie, you know, would mention these dreams to his wife, which kind of, you know, it was hard for her to hear, but at the same time, she often had very keen insights into what the dream might be. Uh, for instance, right before Lincoln came to Washington, D.C., he was lying on his bed. Now, this wasn't so much a dream as a, a sort of a paranormal experience that Lincoln had. He was in their bedroom upstairs in their house in Springfield, Illinois, and they were about to go, you know, within a day or two, uh, or might have been even that day, to leave on the train to go to Washington. And uh, he was lying there, and there was a mirror uh, right in front of him. Uh, uh, I think a dresser had a mirror front to it on the door. And in the mirror, there was like a line from one side of the mirror to the other. And he was seeing himself, and it was like some, no, the, the mirror usually didn't show this sort of reflection, but he could see two sides of himself in the reflection. And the one on the left was clear and uh, clearly defined. And the one on the right was sort of vague mm-hmm. and ghostly. And it was, it's really kind of stuck in his mind. And he mentioned it to his wife, Mary Todd, who's a very intuitive woman. And uh, she wondered whether it didn't, mean that he was going to have two terms of office and that he wouldn't survive the second one. And, you know, right after Lincoln was shot, uh, one of the things Mary said was she said many things, as you can imagine, anyone just, you know, being there when your your, your spouse was just gunned, gunned down like that. But one of the things she said was, my God, she said his, his dream had, it was true. And uh, Lincoln had this other dream, too, that he had even as a young boy. He saw himself rising to some high place in life and then falling from that height in, uh, in a deadly ending of some sort. And that from that high place, he would do some great good thing, but that he would, he would uh, not survive uh, having climbed to that height. And uh, so I think she was also referring to that dream as well. Well, and... When you mention these experiences that he had, uh, it seems like some of it was through his own doing. I mean, looking back, a lot of historians like to place, say, for example, the interest in spiritualism that the Lincolns had. Uh, a lot of the historians like to place that on Mary Todd and say that it was because you know she was trying to contact the spirit of, of their deceased son, Willie, and that it wasn't really Abraham who was involved in this, that Abe kind of just suffered through this for the benefit of his wife. 
but the, you know, if you read some of these accounts, especially the alternative histories, which I'm sure is the kind of stuff you were looking for in trying to gain perspective into Lincoln as the man, you know, you yeah. read uh, like Nettie Coburn Maynard and, and right. some of the correspondence of uh, you know D.D. Home, Robert Dale Owen, some of these characters, you find out that you know Lincoln was indeed very spiritual, and that he did have a, a keen interest in the spiritualist movement. Yes, and he had a deeper interest after his son Willie died, which uh, happened within about a year's time of their entering the White House. Uh, he died of typhoid at that time. D.C. was more like, well, now it's this beautiful park, you know, the, the whole mall and everything, you know, with the uh, memorials and everything, just beautiful. Back then it was more like a, a swamp. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he, he, you know, little Willie Lincoln wasn't the only one who, who died of those sort of diseases in those time, that time. But after that, he became much more interested in the thought of life after death, much more interested in his dreams. He, he would read in the Bible about uh, visions and dreams that happened there, uh, prophetic uh, dreams and so on. Uh, but he was, he was interested. He did have an interest in these um, these spiritualists that came. Now, uh, Mary was the main person to call them to the White House, but that didn't mean that uh, Lincoln himself didn't have an interest. In fact, uh, there was one occasion that I read about where um, he attended one of these seances, and in the middle of it, uh, the whoever was speaking through the, uh, the medium uh, brought up something that Lincoln had just been talking about, they had just received a telegram about some recent event in the war that was very uh, important. And they had just been, he'd just been discussing with his cabinet upstairs. And then he said, excuse me, gentlemen, and he went down to uh, attend uh, some of the seance, because he promised Mary he would. And here was this uh, spirit talking about the exact same thing that had happened, and Lincoln was just floored. Mm. You know, he said, this is, this is amazing. You know, and he... Had a, he had an interest in these things. He would also he was also curious to see if some of them were frauds, you know. And as well as there being you know real mediums at that time, there are also those who were frauds. And he would be curious about how they might do their thing. But uh, an interesting thing was that uh, uh, Lindbergh was interested in uh, people like this as well, people who could do you know uh, instances of uh, telepathy, of communication between people, you know, that couldn't happen any other way except mind to mind, and so on. And uh, so the both men uh, kept that interest. Well, we've only got a, a few minutes left here in, in this hour before we have to let you go, Richard. But I do want to get your opinion on something. Now, I haven't seen the Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter film, but Moniz has. And, and <laughs> you know, I, I assume knowing Moniz that he enjoyed it just for the, you know, zombie, uh, the vampire uh, slash reflection <laughs> it is. These vi vampires didn't sparkle, so I was happy. <laughs> but I do have to ask you, Richard, what you thought of uh, both the book and the film uh, and, and the portrayal of Abraham Lincoln in that light. Yeah, I'm sorry. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to be a cipher on this one because I didn't read either the book or, or watch the movie. I was tempted to go because I wanted to see how they would portray Lincoln just as far as, you know, just being brought back into that time period. But uh, um, I, for some reason... <laughs> I, I was such. I I, I, I appreciate the uh, humorous spirit in which it was written and created. But uh, uh, after a ten-year study of the life, it was a very serious study. It was just I wasn't able to bring myself to go to the movie. <laughs> Take the time to watch it. It actually isn't that bad. I mean, uh -huh. it, for a fantasy, it's not that bad, and it treats Lincoln, in my opinion, in a very positive light. So yes. Yes, I actually think that if I were to watch it, I would probably enjoy a lot of it. So. 
Just the one line that I, I thought was going to work, but didn't when I went to the movie theater. I, I went to pay for my admission to get in to see Lincoln, and uh, the girl behind the counter said, that'll be six fifty. And I looked at her and I said, gee, it doesn't seem right to have to pay more than the denomination with his face on it to see a movie about Abraham Lincoln. And she looked me straight in the eye with a straight look on her face and said, well, boy, we'd really be screwed then if they made a film about George Washington. Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, you got me there. So. That was a great comeback. That was really it was. Great. You know, people people know now when they see me coming, they know that they're in for it, so they, they prepare. I am not going to see the movie about Grant. <laughs> Can't afford it. <laughs> very good, very good. All right, well, his name is Richard Selva, and his website is com. That's C-R-Y-S-T-A-R Press. Com. If you want to purchase his book, The Reincarnation of Abraham Lincoln, and uh, also you can purchase his other book, The Yoga of Ghost Hunting, which we've also talked about on the show. And uh, just real quickly, too, Richard, just let everybody know about the past life consultations that you offer as well. Yes, yes. If uh, anyone would be interested in that, uh, you can find out more about it on my website. And uh, there is a quick way to, a back way to go to the website, which is to type in lincolnreincarnation.com. And everybody thinks that they're the reincarnated soul of somebody famous. Have you actually spoken to anybody yet that is the reincarnated soul of Abraham Lincoln or Charles Lindbergh? Oh, you know, that would be a very good question. Uh, no, though I've had uh, one gentleman write to me who said he wondered if his son was, and he gave various uh, uh, intimations to that. But uh, I think, you know, there's so many possibilities that way. Uh, there can only be one, and so I wonder whether it is or whether it isn't. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, and definitely keep us up to date with all your future works. Okay, I will, Tim. Have Take a great night. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Richard Salva, again, his website is christarpress.com, C-R-Y-S-T-A-R press.com, if you want to purchase his books or find out more about his work. Now, we are coming up on the end of this first hour. We're going to take a break for the news. Before we do that, we want to remind everybody that next week we're going to be at Oddfest 2012 at the Patriots Bar and Grill in Bellingham, Massachusetts. If you want to check it out, you can go to 30oddminutes.com because 30 Odd Minutes is hosting Oddfest 2012. So if you go there, you can find out about the event itself and you can get directions on how to get to it. And it's going to start at 7.30 and it's going to end whenever they throw us out of there. <laughs> We're going to have a live uh, presentation of 30 Odd Minutes, a live recording of an episode. We're going to have uh, a live recording of the Ghost Chronicles podcast, and Spooky South Coast is going to broadcast live from there from 10 to midnight, hopefully over the WBSM airwaves. We're still waiting to find out if somebody's going to come in and fill in for us uh, here on the board-wise, and we'll be hosting it remotely. And bring a toy because that's the, the admission. Toys. In yeah. order to get in, you have to bring one unwrapped toy for Toys for Tots, and it's a small price to pay for a great time, and it's a great cause as well. Uh, we're going to be drinking some beers and eating some chicken wings. and Those wings there are they are. They're Devastating. F- they're phenomenal. And uh, and it's going to be plenty of good times had by all. So come and check it out. Oddfest 2012 next Saturday night, December 8th at Patriots Bar and Grill in Bellingham from 730 until well, whenever. We're going to be there at least <laughs> until the show's over at midnight. So uh, come and check it out and, and see all the oddness happen right before your eyes. Uh, so, again, we're going to take a break for the news. When we come back on the other side, we'll talk more about this latest controversy in the paranormal with Philip and Ivana Booth and Daryl Wiseman coming back here on Spooky South Coast. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. 
Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen. AM 1420 WBSN presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz. And I got to tell you, Moniz, even though I've been over here running the board now for a couple of months, like as soon as I start talking, I still expect to hear somebody else start fading out the music. <laughs> oh, producer, wherefore art thou? Oh, silent assassin Matt Costa. Hopefully he can make it to Oddfest next week. That would be nice if he could. But probably not. Yeah, his slave driver new boss at his work. Right. It's kind of ridiculous. All right. Well, uh, we are going to jump right into the discussion now. It's a continuation of what we talked about last week to some degree uh, when we had Aaron Houdini on talking about the uh, accusations that he made against the Post Town School and uh, also against Daryl Wisman, who I apologize for mispronouncing his name for the last couple of weeks and also misspelling it on Facebook too a few minutes ago. But uh, And we, we talked about the idea of Aaron making these accusations that he made of evidence being faked and also the personal attack. Yeah, I'm just going to ignore that one for right okay. now. Also, the personal attacks uh, that he launched uh, against many people <laughs> as a result of, of what he was alleging. And we need to kind of examine the other side of that, too. And that would be, you know, the after effects of those accusations and what happens. And we need to also, you know, allow the other side to have their say. Now we invited Daryl on the program last week uh, to join us and, and share his thoughts, but uh, he wasn't able to quite yet. And uh, we also asked uh, Philip and Ivana Booth to come on and join us, but they were otherwise uh, detained. So they gave us a statement to, to read on the air. So, but now we want to give them their opportunity to have their side of the story told and also to share with people what happens as a result of these accusations being made? So let's bring them all on. It's going to take me a second here. But... All right. Good evening, Phil and Ivana. How are you guys? I'm good. Very good. How thank are you? you. Oh, we are doing spooktacular, and thank you both for joining us. And uh, thank you for providing us with the statement to read on the air. And, and Ivana, I know that you've got something that you're going to read for us a little bit later on, too. Uh, I, I thought it would be better for you to read it in, in your voice than for me to read it in mine. So. Sure. Since they're your thoughts. All right, now let's, let's bring on Daryl. Daryl Wisman joins us on the show. Good evening, Daryl. How are you? Good. How are you tonight? Oh, we are doing very well. Thank you for joining us. And uh, my apologies for uh, mispronouncing your name and even misspelling it a few minutes ago on Facebook. Not a problem. With, with a name like Weisberg, I can understand. <laughs> <laughs> so now... I don't even know where to begin with this because so much of this stuff uh, that's been going on over the course of just this past week. I mean, we've had Aaron's public apology on Facebook, but we I, I still need to find out if there's been individual apologies made. And we have some revelations that Ivana's going to give to us a little bit later on. But, Daryl, let me ask you this first. Uh, Aaron claims that he gave you... Uh, opportunity to respond to what he was going to put out there before he made it public. Is that true? Did he get in touch with you and share with you uh, what he had planned to reveal? Aaron got on here and he gave me an opportunity to get rid of, I have a home team here that does the walkthroughs and things, and he gave me an opportunity or an ultimatum, whatever you want to call it, 
to get rid of Jay, which is one of the members of Hindsight Paranormal, mm-hmm. and to get on Facebook on a public page and apologize, saying that uh, some things have been brought to my attention. I apologize, and I will take care of those. They will not happen again. Or he was going to out us at 9 p.m. or something like that. <laughs> so what, what was your reaction to that? Well, my reaction was, number one, this isn't Aaron's house. This is my house. Mm-hmm. Number two, nobody tells me how to run my house but me and my wife. Well, and now the county for a little bit, but we'll get through that. But Aaron doesn't run this place. If Aaron wants to have a place that people can come and paranormal investigate, he needs to go get him one. This isn't it. Well, I mean, what what was going through your mind when, when he made these accusations uh, toward toward your, your team member, Jay, and, and toward the idea of there being evidence faked at the school? Because, I mean, this is a place that not only, like you said, not only are you there bringing people in for investigations, but you live there. You're there all the time. So you That's must right. be experiencing phenomena all the time. Yeah, but my problem is everything that he's saying, not proving, but saying was fraud and fake, is everything that I took Aaron up into the building and showed him everything that has been debunked or that we're working on debunking. And I've seen here lately that people don't like that word debunking, so we'll call it further investigating into And as of just tonight, I've been reviewing over and over and over and over and over uh, Nick and Brian's video of the shadow and what I am recreating with the flashlights that one of the other group members showed me, I cannot recreate it to that. Um, It's more square. It's more boxy. I can't get it to go from left to right through the door and the floor. Mm Mm-hmm does in the video I've seen tonight. I didn't know where to pull the video up from to compare it to, but tonight when Nick McWethy put that on there, he gave me something to compare it to, and it's not it. And I challenge anybody who wants to come and film it, other than Aaron, to come and film it and see what they think about it, because it's not it. I mean, it, it, it's close, it resembles, but it's not it. And uh, anybody who wants to come film, that's more than welcome to. Well, that's um, one of the things, too, though, is, he, is he's making these accusations, but he has no, as you said, he has no proof. He doesn't even have examples of the evidence that people have captured that might be called into question. I haven't even seen, with the exception of a few photos here and there of of the uh, the head, I haven't really seen a lot of like side-by-side comparisons of, look, this group got this and this group got the exact same thing, so therefore it must have been created by, by Daryl or Jay. I haven't seen any of that type of evidence. Right. And when you speak of the head, are you speaking of the thermal imaging head? Right. Okay, now that, I'm not a thermal imaging expert. Another team that was here tried debunking that. I don't know what their degree is on thermal imaging, but I don't don't know what that is. I can't say one way or another. As far as I know, I can say it's real. As far as other people know, they can say it's fake. And like so many other people say, it's their evidence. And if people's going to like it, people's not going to like it. So, but if, if that's Jay and I faking and frauding people, that has nothing to do with us. It's people getting their own evidence, just as 
Nick McWhitney, them got the shadow evidence. That doesn't have anything to do with Jay and I. Mm-hmm. It's evidence that people capture on their own. Well, and I, I am not a scientist or whatever you call them to debunk things, but noises in the building, like the vent that moves when it's windy, and it, if the wind's barely blowing, it sounds like a violin, and if it's blowing hard, it sounds like door slamming. All these things I've showed to Aaron and other people, every time we do a walkthrough to show the place to the next group coming through, we explain all these, the door slamming, the one that catches with the hydraulics. Uh, we tell everybody everything. And any group that comes through here gets the same story. They get told everything that we know about. So they don't try to recreate it as evidence. Well, one of the stories, too, is that there's uh, an EVP that's being played off somebody's cell phone, but I have yet to hear multiple groups come forward with the same audio clip. No, you, that, that was... It started out as a joke, and some three people that was here that night were so excited. Uh, they have been let known now, not just because of this, but they have been known to know about it later. But that night it was it was like an open hunt, and on open hunts we have fun here. Mm-hmm. It's considered a hobby to most people, and you can't have fun at a hobby that you're doing. Why do you want to do it? We do not do anything during private hunts. Uh, on open hunts, we have a lot of people that request, you know, can you scare my boyfriend? He says he don't believe in this. There's nothing that will scare him. And, yeah, we'll startle him. I'll stand at the corner of a hallway, and as he walks by, I'll say, you guys see anything? And he drops to his knees, and she laughs at him, and, I mean, if we can't have fun doing this, why do we want to do it? Right, but when you're when you're having that fun, you let the people know afterwards that that you were just pulling their leg. We're standing right there, mm-hmm. and people that has told well, I don't know if they really have, but for the statement that Aaron put out, that a husband and wife heard a noise, went around the corner, and seen me running down the hall, and they shine their light on me as I went through my residence. Number one, I don't run. Anybody that knows me knows I don't run. <laughs> if the devil I, know, was, I know that myself. Believe me, I'm the same way. If the devil himself was chasing me down the hallway with a fired-up pitchfork, he'd have to poke me in the hind end because here I am. I'm not running. And it's not because I don't want to. I can't. I've had some hernia surgeries, and you might get a fast walk out of it, but that's it. But another part... The part that goes into my residence, the lights do never go off. They cannot go off unless you put the breakers off. So nobody would need to shine a flashlight to see me going into my residence. Mm-hmm. So then would you say that it's fair to say that when you're having these open hunts, these public hunts, that it's it's more of an amusement attraction than it is a, a serious paranormal investigation? And do you, do you advertise it as such? Do you portray it as such? No, nope, but open hunt from... The time it starts at 7, 8 o'clock, whatever time, till 11, 11.30, we kind of call them thrill seekers. Mm-hmm. And those are people that don't even have a camera or a recorder or anything. They just want to come and see what it's like. So then they yeah. understand going into it that, you know, some of it might be enhanced for their enjoyment? Yes. Part of it is for enjoying it. You can call it amusement if you want to, I guess, or entertainment, whatever. Mm-hmm. 
after the thrill seekers, as we call them, they usually dissipate out around 11, 12 o'clock, and then the true investigators are still here. Then all the playing and all the games stop. They go into investigating. So that's how that ends up. Now, uh, Ivana and Phil, you guys knew Daryl already, and you also knew Aaron in, in passing. Well, at least Phil had met Aaron in, in passing. I don't know if you had Ivana. But it was... I, I'm assuming from your perspective of hearing Aaron's side of the story and, and knowing Daryl, it was probably hard to connect the dots that Aaron was trying to throw out there, having been to that location yourself. I mean, uh, it's got to be hard to believe that things can be faked in a place where you've probably had experiences yourself. I personally have never been there. I've never met Daryl. Um, I think I've met Aaron maybe once or twice. I don't really know any of these people, so Phil, Phil has more... Um, he knows these people more than I do. I never had any personal ties to this. I actually got into this because of the truth aspect to it. Um, mm-hmm. So Phil can tell you a little more about that with your question. Sure. I mean, Phil, <laughs> what was your thoughts going through as you heard these accusations and, and knowing Daryl and knowing the post town location? It's it's actually it's actually more simple than it needs than it's been made into this big um, drama. Um, uh, when we were met Daryl, we've met, uh, been there a couple times. Um, he's a really great guy, and and so is Jay, and they're like family, and they were family to Aaron, and they gave Aaron the, his um, baby crib, and so the whole thing seemed a little odd, um, a little strange, and the whole thing got strange when I asked Aaron for just some kind of hard proof that um, Daryl and Jay were faking evidence. I mean, do you understand? I try to look objectively at this, um, since there is no court of law or actual like legal crime against faking paranormal evidence. Mm-hmm. It's really hard what you even expect to get from this by pointing the finger at somebody. I, it's not about condoning fakery, it's just about understanding what the point of all this has become. And so when this started, and I know how wonderful they are to him and to us and to everybody and me, um, I got to look at email transmissions between Daryl and Aaron, and that kind of pointed out a different picture. It's in my statement, my long statement you read um, on the earlier show, but in a basic thing, it just looked like there was a disagreement over a gig on October 27th. Now, without me jumping to a judgment at all and staying neutral outside of it, I just asked him for a hard proof from any of his so-called eyewitnesses, just so I would know before you go and attack so brutally and take this man's livelihood away and, and damage his reputation and, and all that. It's not a, a lighthearted thing to do um, on such a great building. And then he started so aggressively refusing anybody's other input or opinion or saying, I don't need to show you proof. I don't need to this. I'm judge, jury, and executioner. And he started getting personal, and I started realizing there was something more to it. Um, Anybody who disagreed with his methods, I begged him not to uh, publicly humiliate anybody. I'm really against that kind of thing, you know. That's a form of torture, and and it's not a good way. I mean, I just told him, why did you start this case three, four, five days before you even had any proof? and get all this Facebook drama, 300 people and all this, already this lynch mob, 
and all this, take him down, take him down, take him down. And this is what we wanted to avoid, the power drama in this business right. is bad enough as it is. So this is when this started happening, and when basically anybody questioned his methods or hard proof, he attacked them, deleted them, and then he started the personal attacks against us, saying we faked the evidence, we were faking evidence, we were drunk, I was fooling on my life, fooling around on my life. Why would somebody think to this stuff? And then the email conversations I made public um, to other radio stations and to other websites that started popping up, which he, to people who he had insulted, and they, and there was no way anybody to get any kind of comments back because he would delete, he would say, he would do a personal attack and he would delete it. Mm-hmm. So there would be no way to trace it down. And so my biggest fear for all this, because it's nothing personal, was that we needed to really understand we can't allow this to happen in this industry if one person can rise up with no proof and say this person's doing this and then raise a lynch mob that puts that man out of business. I mean, this is any business, by the way. It doesn't have to be paranormal. I mean, we're supposed to live in innocent till proven guilty here. Right. And, and that's not how, how it's going. So on a moral end, not even personally involved, this just stunk. The whole thing stunk. And then when he started throwing, the only thing he had left was building code violations and goes on Darkness Radio and says that he posted this building order like he told Dave Schrader, that he got this order, and then he found it was a 2006-401 sprinkler code violation of a haunted attraction and had nothing to do with asbestos or lead paint. And he was started digging, you know, and then he wrote an email to another radio guy saying, I had someone go in there and film taking a tile out of the building to test for asbestos, filming a theft, a break-in, I realized this has gotten desperate and crazy. And for someone who has a great love and respect for this industry, someone needs to stand up and say, this is not right. I'm not condoning fakery, and I need to make that clear. And Daryl, to me, has always been great. So that's all I can go about. If he's done things I don't know about, I can't speak up for that. But all I can do is speak up for what hard evidence is visible to us and, and the stuff I've seen personally. And our films are about truth. If anybody's seen our films, they know we dig skeletons out of closets. And we've been sued by many states for graves that don't have names on them, that only have markers, and asylums that don't want the dirty laundry out there. So how could I, being a member of the booth, sit here and allow one of the biggest pieces of paranormal fraud at all, which wasn't pertaining to Daryl, but somebody pointing fingers falsely at somebody, you know, and then just to wrap this up, he makes a statement on another radio show with the Kling brothers saying, I believe the entire power, this is quote-unquote, I believe the entire power normal community is a joke. We should wipe it clean and start again. Well, my question is this, and it's a scary thought. Who's wiping it clean, and who's picking who's in and who's out? Because if it's that judge and jury and executioner who already has no proof, and he's already formed a lynch mob, I'm afraid I've got to step in his way. Because that can't happen. In any form of of, um, justice at all, that is injustice against innocent people, and you need proof, and that's basically what this is about. 
Well, what's interesting is I offered Aaron last week the opportunity. You know, I, I asked him why his original report and his original statement on Post Town was no longer on his Facebook page. And, <clears throat> excuse me, he responded that, you know, he had had so many personal attacks launched on him that he had to take it down. And uh, the one sorry, well, the one question I'm sorry I didn't ask as a follow up is, well, then how come you haven't taken down when you've attacked everybody else on your Facebook page. But that being said, you know, I'm trying to be Switzerland in this whole thing. I did offer him the opportunity to put that statement up on the Spooky South Coast page. And uh, I did also offer to allow the Spooky South Coast page to be used for him to put anything up there that he he felt would not be appropriate on his own personal page. And I even recommended to him that he makes a page specifically for his, you know, calling out of, of fraud. And I have to say, it's been a week now, and I haven't had any correspondence well, on that. Well, Tim, I'd really like to bring up that Nick McWeathy posted, I know if you're up to date on this, posted a video tonight defending his evidence of the shadow figure and this water fountain, which um, Aaron, through his personal attack, said we faked. Then he said we were upset because it was faked and we were trying to take anybody down, and then they said it wasn't faked. But the bottom line here is Nick McWeathy spent 12 minutes on a video recording a personal statement with his likeness under penalty of perjury. He, on his likeness, talking to the camera, swearing, showing his face on camera, saying, I swear this was not fake. I have nothing to do with this. I tried to recreate it. I invite everybody else to do it. Why did Mr. Houdini did not bother bringing any personal video statements or audio proof or anything or even under penalty of perjury statements from his witnesses forth to make this paranormal fraud a case like you would in a court of law. This is why this has to stop. And the good thing about this all is let it serve as a reminder to anybody else that plans on trying to make a quick publicity stunt or rise to a quick TV show stunt and do this to innocent people who make their livelihood. I mean, you know, Darrow is not a rich man. Everybody goes, he's making hundreds of thousands of dollars. Listen, I've been there. There's no hundreds of thousands of dollars there, okay? This man lives modestly. He barely can keep the heat on. He can barely keep his family fed. But that school is clean. I, we go in a lot of buildings, okay? And they are blown-up buildings. And that actually adds to, like, Wavell Hills adds to the filmic value of a film shoot, because that's my end of it, okay? Mm-hmm. But this building is shiny and almost so new that it's not that, you know, uh, it's more like a Rob Zombie Halloween 1970s school, like Carrie, you know what I'm getting at? So, with the shiny floors. So, this whole thing just is all wrong, you know? None of it makes any sense. And that public apology that he made was supposed to involve an official statement to the people, apology to the people for what he's done, the hundreds of people that are threatening to quit, sell their equipment, the, the, the Tearfield people, their frustration, um, and then to post-town school for all, the way he's done this so-called witch hunt, where you point fingers at somebody with no proof and you burn them with a lynch mob or attack them and their livelihood is gone. And he refused. And I wrote him a letter and I said, please, I encourage you, please put that apology out. Please apologize to Post Town. I want to see you get back to your life. He refused to do it. He even refused to put the apology on my wife's page, which he promised me to do 
accusing me of cheating on my wife. What did I do to deserve that on a personal level? If we're sinking to these tactics of digging, breaking into a school, and chiseling out a tile, and, you know, smashing it so asbestos is now there. Anybody knows asbestos was there, is, was a law passed in 2003. As long as the tile is kept wax and it's not exposed, it's not dangerous. And who's not going to go in a haunted location that was built in the late 1800s or early 1900s and worry about that mm-hmm. anyway? They're going to have masks on. They're going to do that. So when he started throwing all this, I mean, it's not Aaron Houdini, the um, fraud hunter. It's Aaron Houdini, the building inspector. Right. And and, and it, the sad part... I don't understand it, Tim. I just, it, I just bang my head against the wall trying to find logic in this, robbing the paranormal field of its high of the hunt. Let them find out themselves that Coast Town is haunted. We don't need anybody saying it is or it isn't anyway. Well, we, we have a call on the line here, so I, I want to take this, this call. Uh, and if anybody does have any questions for Philip or Ivana or Daryl, you can give us a call, 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. And before we bring the caller on, I just want to ask that when you're done uh, with your question, if you can just hang up your phone uh, so that we don't lose any of our guests. Because whenever we have multiple guests on multiple lines, we always run the risk of some, somebody's going to drop off. But if either one of you, Daryl or, or Philip and Ivana, if you do drop off, just call right back in. We'll put you right back through. Good evening, you're on Spooky South Coast. How are you? Hi, I'm Trista. Hi, Trista. Do you have a question for our guests? I don't have a question. I just want to say that I support Philip and Christopher and Daryl completely. And, you know, I have read everything on Facebook. I've even tried to discuss it with uh, Mr. Houdini himself on his page. And, you know, I got rebuffed. I've gotten, you know, all sorts of things. But I just wanted to let them know, because I, too, have been to Post Town. I, I've, I've had the, had an investigation with a group of my friends, and I personally have felt that it is haunted. I mean, I, I know that we could probably go on about this all the time, but I just wanted to say that I do support them. I support Daryl and Post Town. And um, I believe that the Booth Brothers do a wonderful job uh, for the paranormal community. So, you know, I love you guys and uh, just wanted to let you know. Thank you. Well, thank you for the call. All right, again, we'll need you to hang up because if we hang you up, then uh, we might drop our callers, uh, drop our guests. Uh, But, Daryl, I I do have to ask you, uh, one of the, I guess, maybe unintended side effects of this uh, from Aaron's point of view, is is this has actually wreaked havoc with you and your wife in what is actually your home. I mean, the, the school, you also reside there. And yep. these these claims of building violations and everything have now uh, caused problems to, to where, you know, you, you may not even be able to continue living in your own home. Exactly. Uh, the, the claims that he's making, though, the county has even said there is no concerns with asbestos or lead paint, but out of the cost of our own pockets here, Tuesday morning we're having a company come in to do a asbestos spore testing. They're going to come in and do whatever it is they do, how they test it for asbestos in the air, just to show the general public that what Aaron's saying, again, is not truth. How, um, how long have you lived in the building for? Eight years. 
And have you had any uh, serious illnesses or any kind of side effects of living in the building yourself or your family? None whatsoever. My kids come here, our grandkids come here. Uh, if I felt there was any unsafeness to the building, there's no way my wife and I would live here. Um, the lead paint issues that he talks about, um, unless you eat lead paint, it's not going to bother you. And I haven't caught one paranormal investigator chewing on my windowsills. <laughs> well, we haven't been there yet. so Usually you find the skeptics chewing on them. Right. And also, on your last show, when Aaron was on there, uh, about 21 minutes and 30 seconds into his show with you, he speaks of a couple that celebrated their anniversary doing a ghost investigation here. Mm-hmm. Now, sorry he felt for them how I was slamming doors and making sounds and doing everything. And he felt so sorry for that couple for wasting their anniversary here. Well, that lady finally called me back tonight. And she said anybody that wants to call her is more than I'm not going to put her number on the air, but is more than welcome to call her that they had the greatest time and the best anniversary they've ever had in their life here at Post Town. So another time that what he's putting out there is untruth. Well, um, I don't understand the motive to this because it, it all started out as exposing paranormal fraud, and he couldn't do that, so then he went into attacking my building, and that didn't do any good, and now he's making personal attacks against not only my friends, but his own friends. And I don't understand that. Um, We did have an injunction against us on this building, and it was for automatic fire sprinklers for a haunted attraction back in 2006. All these papers lay in my break room up here for anybody to read. Um, It seemed odd the one that Aaron took a picture of and pasted all over Facebook is the only one I don't have anymore. Um, I can't say he took it from here, but I know it's missing. So I went to the county and got another copy of it today, uh, because or not today, but yesterday, and uh, we're going to try to get that injunction lifted because we don't do a haunted attraction here. And then move on. If we need a sprinkler system, we're going to work at doing that. But So when you... When you say haunted attraction, do you mean that you did you used to run like a haunted house attraction through there? Like when we bought the building in two thousand and four, our intention was to turn it into a haunted attraction. Mm-hmm. Set it up. We did two weeks for free, getting the bugs out of everything, make sure everything worked good. Uh, when we started charging, trying to charge at the door, we got a a temporary restraining order served on us and said, we cannot operate at the haunted house. And I said to the guy at the county, well, you better have a good lawyer because I put too much time and money into this, and we're going to have it. Well, he had a good lawyer, and he beat me. (laughs) So I lost at that. And they ended up putting an injunction against me for Section Code 411 in the building code manual, which is about automatic fire sprinkler systems and things like that. I understand that as being a hazard now because the strobe lights, fog machines, and the new walls that you build up to make them go in different directions can disorient people and they right. not know where the What paranormal investigating is is a wide open hallway, wide open rooms. There's nothing disorientive or no sounds or no 
strobe lights or fog machines. So it's, you're trying to find out then if, if you still need to have the sprinklers for the way that you're currently operating the building, or do you already know that it's okay the way that you're using it in its current capacity? We're trying to see if we can get by with using it for what we use it as investigating for events and things where we have gatherings of people. We're probably going to have to put some sort of fire sprinkler system in. At 8 a.m. Tuesday morning, a fire sprinkler company will be here to give us an estimate on what it's going to cost to do that. And if it's any way economical, and with all the support that I've had from the followers and the people that's been posted into me, I absolutely thought Post Town was probably the bottom of the totem pole for paranormal investigating places. Uh, when I hear of places to go, I think of big places like Waverly and Mansfield and all these places that people pay to go to. I never expected us to have a following like we've had. I actually got a phone call from a lady in Australia this morning. It was 10.24 a.m. here, and it was 11.24 p.m. tonight there. She was getting ready to go to bed telling us how stupid this all seems. She's been following it on Facebook. I mean, I'm known around the world now, so I thank him for that. <laughs> well, that's the thing is once everything's all squared away and, and you can continue operating in the capacity you have, you're probably going to find that your attendance is, is up 110% uh, compared right. to what it was. So we, we have another call on the line, if you guys don't mind taking that. We'll see who it is. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. This is Chuck. Uh, I've got a quick question, Daryl. Uh, uh, Aaron posted yesterday an article from the Cincinnati Enquirer. Can you explain to the folks what that is? Yes, I can. That's the article from the Cincinnati Enquirer about um, uh, over here. the bond issue would close a 1937 school building. That is an article that was put out when they were trying to pass a bond for everybody to pass this tax rate to build new schools. Uh, when it said close the school, I guess it caught his attention. He thought it was something important. And all it was was to get people to vote to raise the taxes. And if the bond issue passed, it would cost the homeowner of a $100,000 home an additional $244 in taxes each year. Uh, it wasn't about closing the school. It was about passing a tax levy. So all the things that he puts out there, he gets bits and pieces of. Uh, I've seen an article where he posted something, too, that says I wasn't allowed to have over, I think it was six kids under the age of 12 in here. That was for a daycare that we had. I actually built it as a babysitting club, my wife and I did, because we don't want to watch kids, but other people do. The county approved that but they wanted it to be a licensed daycare. And when I got the packet to be a daycare and read through it, I said, we don't want to do this because it's, I mean, way, way, way too many guidelines to go by. Right. And I'm going to be responsible for all them children. So we didn't do that. And well, he, go I, mean, ahead. I was going to say, Daryl, that uh, there's really no uh, – there's no way to go forward with this now, though. This is always going to be part of the story now of Post Town. I mean, no matter what happens going forward, 
you know, these accusations are always going to be there, whether they're proven or unproven. There's always going to be kind of that stain on on your location and on your reputation, and likewise also on on Aaron and his reputation as well. Uh, and I, I guess the only way that you can really uh, get past that is to just continue to allow people to come in there and investigate and, and provide their own evidence. Uh, but I, I'm sure now you've got to look at everybody that comes through the door with a, a raised eyebrow about what their true intentions are. Well, not really. Um, what I what I see out of people is I trust people, and I trust them with my whole heart. And the people that come here have a good time. Uh, as far as tarnishing us in Post Town, um, one thing I can say for myself is I have documented proof of everything that I'm saying to be true. Aaron has showed no documented proof of anything that he stated. Mm-hmm. His claims... Uh, even the couple about their anniversary on your show last week. How many times can you prove what somebody is saying or stating to not be true before people finally quit believing in them? I mean, I hate to say this, but I thought the world of Aaron Houdini. I thought he was a great... He says he's not a magician because people think he's a magician. He's a dumbass. He's a trickery or whatever. But I thought a lot of him. And... I feel like he's hurting his own career at what he's doing, and maybe he's trying to build a new career of some kind. But as far as Post Town, he slowed us down. We're going to have a few weeks off here, but we'll be back. But when we're back, we'll be stronger than ever because there'll be nothing else anybody can pick on us for. Any group that's been here that's got their evidence, I haven't had anybody leave here and say I didn't get something, whether it be a personal experience, uh, audio or EVP or video, um, not bragging on my place, but it's pretty awesome from what people tell me. And I did make a statement when this first started, and people were trying to tell me the place is haunted. I thought they was full of whatever. I didn't really believe in ghosts and spirits or whatever it is. As times went on, I see things and hear things that I can't explain, Um I guess I'm one of those skeptics that has kind of been converted, and it's an awesome place. And why would someone would try to take that away from all the people that do this for a hobby and all the people that do this for a enjoyment or whatever drives somebody to do what they do for paranormal investigating? I had a gentleman call me the other day, and he was really broken up because... He said his dad died when he was nine years old. And his last time here, he said that uh, he could, his dad contacted him. And he said, if that place gets tore down, that's the last place I talked to my dad. Mm-hmm. And those kind of things are touching, you know. Right, and that's that's the kind of thing that we're really into this for and is to make those connections. Now, Ivana, I know that you've, uh, you've prepared a statement here that you released uh, in the last couple of days and, and you've done probably more research into this than I think Aaron may have. Uh, and actually I can almost say with certainty that you definitely have, <laughs> but you, you did not take the story uh, at face value pretty much from the beginning. Uh, even, even before, you know, your husband's name and, and yourself started getting dragged into this, you had already, uh, kind of, you know, raised an eyebrow about some of the accusations he was making. And, and you've actually released this statement. If you'd like to share that with our audience, we'd love to hear it. 
Okay, I'd be glad to. All right, it's kind of long, so uh, I'm going to sit back and have a drink or something. <laughs> All right. It has been a long, hard road we have been down in the last two weeks, and I have a few things I would like to say. I really did not want to have to make a statement, but because the whole truth has not come out, I feel I have to say something. Of course, I realize this is opening myself up to attack yet again, so I will now state this is my opinion, so fewer people may jump on me since we're all adults and all allowed to have differing opinions and still treat each other respectfully. If you do not believe that to be the case, I apologize, but it is what it is. I'm quite sad at what has happened recently in the paranormal field. Two weeks ago, I found out that there was potential fraud and fakery going on right before our very eyes. I didn't feel very good about that, so of course I backed the cause. I watched this go from what we all thought to be a good thing, protecting all of us from this sort of thing, to a huge mess that is ongoing at this time. I did my own investigation into the matter because a few items of information came to light and they didn't match up with the official story. I did quite a bit of digging, interviewing people who gave statements in the case and various others who potentially knew something, anything. I needed to know what was really going on. Within a few days, I had a story in front of me that was unfolding into something very different than what was originally said. It also added at least one other, if not two other people into the mix who were never officially revealed. I saw people backstabbing each other, lying, being two-faced, and this was privately out of the public eye. This was nothing compared to the fiasco happening in the public. When I dug up the information I came up with and presented it to my husband, he approached Aaron and attempted to help him get to the bottom of this. He tried to find out why those two others named in several statements by witnesses were never revealed so they could speak their sides of the story and explain themselves, one of which is actually Nick McWeavy, who did, you guys were just mentioning, officially make his statement and make a video, so <laughs> there's that. Um, he tried to find out the true motivation behind all of this. He tried to help everyone get their ducks in a row because you can't accuse someone of something so serious and go to the lengths that we're gone to without having cold, hard evidence. If there was a law against paranormal fakery and this case was taken to a court of law, it would not have stuck because all that it had going for it was hearsay. No evidence whatsoever. Nothing to back it up. Philip kept asking where the proof was and none was presented to him. No video, no audio, nothing. So all we now had in front of us was a story of a potential cover-up of someone else that was being accused of exactly what the two gentlemen accused were being accused of but no one was speaking out and calling them to speak for themselves. Why? Once we got involved in trying to get the truth out, suddenly, for some reason, we got turned on and made out to be all kinds of terrible things, from faking evidence to covering up faking of evidence to my husband being a drunk and cheating on me at conventions when I'm not around. It was even mentioned on the radio, actually your show, as a matter of fact. All of this because we wanted to get to the truth, the whole point of this quest. Why? For the record, we never attacked anyone. You can go back and look and see if there's anything out there on anyone's pages where I speak disparagingly to or about anyone. I did not. I, for the most part, stayed behind the scenes focusing on getting to the truth and let the drama go on without me until we got dragged into it, completely unnecessarily and without merit. We're good people and just wanted to help everyone get to the truth, and we got attacked for it and lies spread about us. Still, the truth has, not, has yet to come to light. I would like to say that I appreciate Aaron Houdini's apology and truly hope that it is sincere because I watched him turn on us in an instant 
and quickly turn us from friend to foe, and I never understood why. We truly were innocent victims in the mudslinging match and unfortunately got caught in the crossfire, and it went well beyond the realm of saying it went too far. The things that were said were reprehensible, and it is hard for me to just sit there and smile and say, it's okay, just don't do it again. It's hard, especially when everyone knows that to this day, we have no hard evidence proving anyone did anything. While I myself have several eyewitnesses that swear they saw things by certain folks at Post Town, at least one of them still yet not named, even that would not stand up in court. If this was a murder or rape trial, the case would fall apart with what has been presented to the jury. I would gladly accept Aaron's apology if he included in his apology all of the people affected in the online drama and unnecessary personal attacks, inability to have people's voices heard, deletions, mobbings, etc., and also included the people of Post Town. Why? Because from the very beginning, he said that he cared for the people he was accusing of this and said that if they just apologized, that would pretty much be enough for him. Am I wrong in this? Did he not say that he didn't want to hurt them or their children and that's why he was waiting days to reveal it because he didn't want them to lose their home? It wasn't until he said they were not willing to do so that it seemed as if he decided to do whatever it took to shut them down. For the record, I saw Daryl say that he would publicly post an apology on Post Town's page for everyone to see about anything he needed to apologize for, but this never came out either. Since his fraud hunt did not pan out, he went on to speak of building codes, asbestos, lead-based paint, telling us what a hazard this building is to us. Why has he cared so much about these people, people that gave him a, a crib for their baby? Why did he go so far to shut them down and consequently potentially leave them homeless? How did it go from, if you, from an if you apologize, we will forgive you, to this, how and why? These are some of the questions we need to ask. And again, I need to emphasize that this is my opinion. I am not attacking anyone. I am just stating what I discovered in not only my investigation, but also in dealing with so many people in this whole thing, people that chose to partake in the chaos and people that unwillingly got dragged into it. It has been no fun for most of us. Some people love it. Others, like us, who it has affected personally, not so much. I've lost so much sleep over this. Bill is losing weight. We're heartbroken over how this whole thing has been handled, and I ask if a simple apology to us is enough. I truly believe that things could have been handled so much better in this situation, and if this is a case study for this fraud busting, I'm sorry. I want no part of it. If you happen to get a tip or find out that someone is knowingly faking evidence or faking things at their location, do your own investigation. Get more than enough solid evidence to prove it. Present it to us when the full investigation has concluded and provide us with all the proof so we can judge for ourselves. We're all adults here, and personally, I'm from the show-me state. I need evidence to back up someone's claims, whether it's from the evidence they present me with or what I discover on my own. Evidence is required to back up any accusations. Since there's no precedent for discovery and proving of faking evidence, we should still treat this like a court case, innocent until proven guilty, and no case with no evidence. Also, the personal attacks and running other people on their names into the ground because they have differing opinions has to stop. The lying, the name-calling, the blaming, the projecting, the distracting from the truth, all must stop. I saw this happening, and so many people got involved. This should have stayed private until all the facts were known and at least triple-checked, and all of the evidence should have been presented to the public for them to decide. No man should himself stand as judge, jury, and executioner. 
I believe we as a whole deserve to get it all laid out for us, all the facts, the info, and let us decide for ourselves. When did this place become a place where everyone always has to agree to get along and play nice? So to make a long story short, too late, one, don't accuse someone of something publicly in the way it was done. Do your own investigating, get your evidence, check it, make sure it's legit and you have a case, and then move forward respectfully. Two, if you can't prove fakery beyond a shadow of a doubt, don't go to all lengths to shut someone down by finding building codes or safety issues to do so. We are not building inspectors. We are paranormal investigators. Three, if you're going to go after fakery, do not fall to the level of personal attacks or go beyond the issue of fakery. Personal issues, et cetera, are, only, are truly unnecessary to prove your case and get into the area of slander. Four, if you're going to go after fakery, please conclude one case completely before going on to the next one. If we use this case as an example, I don't see a great future in fraud hunting if it's handled this way again in the future. Five, if you want people to listen to you, stay respectful, try not to get emotional, Stick to the facts and have a protocol of how you would handle this issue in the future. You need checklists and systems. You can't just go willy-nilly into something so serious as making allegations against someone that could destroy their lives, even if they're found to be innocent in the end. It won't matter because their names will have already been dra dragged through the mud, innocent or guilty. Six, take a poll and see how many people actually want to be policed in the paranormal. Find out how many people want paranormal cops out there checking all their evidence to see if it's fake. Ask how many people will continue to post their evidence online for others to see or if they'll take it down for fear of attack by the paranormal cops. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just going to have to cut you off there, though, Ivana, because we are running out of time. All right. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. I, I wanted you to be able to get as much of that in, and I definitely think that those steps, uh, they also speak for, for my opinion as well as, as to way to go forward with this. Uh, now, if everybody wants to continue reading this uh, and, and they want to see the rest of the statement in full, they can see it uh, on your Facebook page. And if you want, just sure. – since you're on uh, online, usually, uh, if you want to just throw it right up on the Spooky South Coast page as well, then uh, people can go up there and see it too. And I think that might be the best way. Again, I'm sorry we couldn't let you read the whole thing, but you know we're just up against the clock. I'm sorry it was so long. No, don't be sorry at all. It, it's I could feel the catharsis as I was reading it the other day when you sent it to me. I could I could feel. Uh, the sense of relief that you must had getting a lot of these thoughts off your chest and and hopefully uh, putting a lot of this behind you guys uh, as a result. Yes, absolutely. And thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to read it. Oh, no problem. And thank you all to all three of you for joining us. And, and I want to say hopefully, you know, that this goes away now and that we can move on. Uh, but, again, Aaron said that he's got more revelations coming out, so we'll see how those go. And, uh, and Daryl, as you said, you know, hopefully you guys come back stronger than ever. So uh, definitely all three of you stay in touch with us and, and let us know about everything that comes up in the future. Daryl, let us know how things go with Post Town. And, of course, yeah. Philip and Ivana, let us know how things go with, with your work as well. Thank, thank you, you so much. Case closed. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a great night. Let's thank move you. Move on. Yes, absolutely. All right. Okay, take take care, so guys. Much. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Daryl Wisman and Philip and Ivana Booth joining us here on Spooky South Coast to share uh, their side of the whole story. Uh, as I said, you know, hopefully now we're done with it. Hopefully we don't have to go on any further uh, in the discussion of this matter. But again, if anything pops up, we'll, we'll try to keep you up to date as best we can. That does it for this week's show. We're going to come back next week, hopefully live on WBSM, definitely live on Spooky TV from Patriots Bar and Grill for Odd Fest 2012. You don't want to miss your chance to be there. All you have to do is bring an unwrapped toy to Patriots Bar and Grill in Bellingham next Saturday night at 7.30. You will get in. You'll be able to party with us. 
uh, Jeff Belanger and the group from 30 Odd Minutes, and there's going to be the Ghost Chronicles group's going to be there with Ron Kolick and Ann Kerrigan, and there's going to be so many paranormal people there all getting together for a great cause. So uh, hopefully we'll be joining you then. Until then, for Matt Moniz, for Matt Cost, for Chris Balzano, I'm Tim Weisberg. Stay spooktacular.